You know, sometimes it feels like the world is falling apart. Oh, um, watch the news. Russia is, you know, amassing on the Ukrainian border. Uh, we have this pandemic that continues. Uh, there's rank political partisanship, and that spills out even into the church. And then these larger issues aren't even uh, what really get us. Often it's the personal, right? Where we are going through a loss. We're going through personal suffering, whether it's sickness or relationship issues or trauma. And it can be where it, we come to a point where the world just seems like it's falling apart around us. And if not now, there will be a time when you feel that. And because of that, um, we're, we're going through this sermon series. We're starting a new sermon series in Habakkuk. Um, how do we live by faith when we feel that, when we feel the world is falling apart? Well, Habakkuk gives us some answers. And I know you might be thinking, Habakkuk, what, what's that? Who, who, who is that? Who is, have, have I even heard of him? Um, well, he's an Old Testament prophet. It's a short, he's a short prophet. And so I'm going to give you some background. And the thing is, is, you know, I know we, whenever it comes to sermon series like this, it's difficult because when we gather, I want us to gather and to be encouraged for the week. Um, but yet we need to be real, right? That sometimes in life we go through these hardships and, and it's inevitable and the thing is, is the reason that we can have hope, the, the reason that we can go through these things and have our faith strengthened and deepened is because of the God we worship. So uh, I've seen so much in the, in the last several years where difficulty and things, uh, the world seems to be falling apart and people run from God. Well, no, if we run to God, then even when we go through the difficulties, our faith is deepened and strengthened and in a real way. It's not just rah-rah kind of hype because that doesn't last. We need a real faith, a deep faith that when we go through the challenges, we come out the other side stronger and our faith is actually stronger instead of weaker. So I know this, this, this series is going to be a little bit difficult um, in that, yeah, we, we like unicorns and rainbows and, you know, all of that stuff. But for our faith to be real and deep and survive even the worst tragedies of life, we got to go deep sometimes. And that's what Habakkuk does. So um, let me tell you a little bit about, you can pronounce either Habakkuk or Habakkuk. I'll pronounce it both ways. Neither of those ways are pronounced the Hebrew way. So, hey, we'll just, just pretend like you know how to pronounce it. That's the key. <laughs> But, you know, there's not much known about Habakkuk other than his name. Uh, and he was a Jewish prophet. He interacted with God in the land of Israel. And you might be thinking, All right, where's, where's Habakkuk? Where can I find it in my scriptures? It's, he's a part of what's called the Book of the Twelve. This is the Twelve, also known as the Minor Prophets. That actually circulated as a unit uh, in the centuries before Jesus. And it was called the Book of the Twelve. And he's about eighth way in. So if in your, your uh, Bible, the, in the Old Testament, that last twelve books, that's the Book of the Twelve. That's the, the Minor Prophets. And he's about eighth in there. Um, and Habakkuk wrote, it doesn't say, you know, he wrote in the, in the year of King so-and-so, but from clues of this short book, 
we, it's most likely that Habakkuk, he ministered around 590 B.C., and in 590 B.C., some of the things that were going on is that the Babylonian Empire was rising and threatening, and, um, and uh, Habakkuk probably wrote after a, a, a small revival happened under King Josiah. So King Josiah was a good uh, king, and he helped bring people back to God. But by the time Habakkuk wrote, that revival was really waning. And Israel had gone back to being just like the other nations around them and, and not really following God and, and injustice and, and treating people poorly. Um, that's probably when Habakkuk started to write because he sees, as we're going to see in the Scripture, he sees the injustice, he sees the lack of following God among his people, and so he starts to cry out to God because his world was falling apart. Um, and God answers back. And this interaction and, uh, between God and the prophet, that constitutes the book, right? So the book is arranged in a question and answer format. So Habakkuk questions and, and cries out to God and questions, God, why is this happening? And then God answers. And then Habakkuk doesn't quite like that answer, so he questions again. And then God answers again. And then in chapter 3, chapter 3 is a prayer. Habakkuk's prayer after going through this, of how he maintains his faith, his integrity, even though he doesn't understand, even though this bad stuff is going on. And it's all in poetic verse. This whole book's written in poetic verse. But as Habakkuk cries out to God about the sin and injustice among his people, one of the things that we'll see starting next week is that he is stunned by God's answer. He's confused by God's answer. Because basically, Habakkuk says, yeah, I hear, I see my people's sin. I see the injustice. So the Babylonians are going to come and wipe out the nation and, and uh, discipline them. And Habakkuk says, what? That the Babylonians, they're worse than us. How can you be using them? How can this be? So he cries out. Habakkuk wrestles with the problem of evil and how a good God can use and allow evil and injustice. See, Habakkuk wrestles with the real-life issues that God, sometimes his answers and sometimes his ways are confusing, and they don't make sense to us. And yet, the book is a call to keep the faith. The book is a call that even when the world is falling apart, we can look to God. All right, so that's just my introduction. That's a slight overview of the whole book. And I hope it's piqued your interest. Uh, again, there's not, lots, no, not a lot of unicorns and rainbows in this book, but it's still, I think it, it, it calls to us with a relevance because people throughout the ages have wrestled with these issues, right, of the problem of evil, of we don't understand God. So let's look. Let's look at the first small chunk of Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. 
So this book is introduced as an oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now the, word, the Hebrew word there is Massah, which is often translated, and some of your translations might say this, the burden, right? The burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And I, I like that word burden because I think it reflects some of what uh, is going on with, with Habakkuk. The prophets, they often saw Israel's sin and they were burdened. They were burdened with, with the sin of their people and then they became burdened with the message of God. And here, Israel's sin, it burdens the prophet to seek out God and ask him to intervene. And again, that interaction becomes this prophetic oracle, this burden that is written down. So Habakkuk, he's burdened by the violence, by the injustice, by the ignoring of God's law among his people. But he's also burdened by the fact that he, God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Right? Look, look at the lament. So in verse 2, what does he say? He says, how long? And in verse 3, why? How long and why? Habakkuk, he has faith that God will act, that he's that kind of God that loves justice and he's going to act according to the covenant that he's made with his people. But he wants to know, how long, Lord, b before you act? Have you ever felt that way? You trust in God's promises. You trust that he will one day make things right. But how long is it going to take? And maybe you've been praying and asking God that for years. You wonder, God, will I see deliverance on this side of heaven? Now the other lament, first is how long, but the second one is why. Why? Habakkuk, he, he knows that God can't stand for sin and injustice. So why is he allowing it? It seems to be rampant. We, and so it, it doesn't make sense. Why, God, are you not protecting us from this? Have you ever felt that way? Why, God? You can't see why God would allow such things. And especially if you trust in the revealed God, revealed God in the Bible, then you know that, wait, he hates injustice and sin, but he intervenes in, the, in his people's lives. Like, he's not a God who's aloof and, and far away. No, he's a God who's close. He, he hates injustice. He loves his people. So why is this happening? Why? You just can't make sense of it. And so this is where we come to a theme in the book of Habakkuk that we'll keep returning to it in the next couple of weeks. And that is, when there is suffering and when there is questioning, it must be paired with prayer. And it's these types of prayers of how long and why God, they're very, very common in the Bible. They're called laments. And in fact, you can't understand a lot of the Bible. You can't stand the, understand the book of, of Habakkuk unless you understand what a lament is. And we're not very familiar with that here. But lament is when there's pain that you don't understand, when there's suffering and you have questions, and you press into God instead of pull away from him. Really, that's what a lament is. It's, 
acknowledging reality, the reality of there is suffering, the reality that apart from God, I can't understand this suffering and I can't do anything about it, but then it also acknowledges the reality, but God can and he is loving and he is able. And all of these things, they don't seem to line up in my head, but I am pressing into God anyways. That is the nature of lament. And it is so transformative. It is so helpful in deepening our faith. Because oftentimes, what do we do? We don't understand something. We're in suffering, so we step away from God. And we try to figure it out in our heads. We're like, all right, maybe I'll go to God once I can line everything up because it's not lining up in my head. So I'm just going to go into my mind palace and think through these things. That's a dead end. (laughs) but here a lament is taking all of the reality of that and pressing into God and that's the book of Habakkuk is basically that's what he is doing and we would be wise to follow that because oftentimes we, we want results. When it comes to prayer, we think of prayer in a transactional way. In other words, all right, if I pray in this way, if I pray with the right motivation, ta-da, results, magic. And then if things don't line up still, well, I must not be following the formula. But God and life can't be reduced to a formula. And that's why lament prayer Laments take all of that into account. There's so many other examples in the Bible about laments. I want to share a short one with you. The Psalms was the song book and the prayer book of Israel. And it's got all sorts of praise songs and, you know, come to the, the temple rejoicing songs. And those are great. But it also has a lot of laments. So, for instance, I'll read uh, Psalm 13. It's a short one. It's a short lament by um, King David. Now, King David was said to be a man after God's own heart, and yet he feels compelled and comfortable in in coming to God with his questions. So, let me just read it. Um, Psalm 13, to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So do you see that how long, O Lord? That's, that's, that's lament. He keeps asking, how long, O Lord? And again, this is King David, a man after God's own heart. And you can see that it's, it's, not, it's an expression of faith. Because, so that's the thing, is a lot of times we're like, oh no, I, I can't say my questions to God. I can't cry out to God and say, why God? How long? Isn't that a lack of faith? No, it can be and often is. And it is in the Psalms, it is in these laments, an expression of faith. 
Because again, we're saying, what I know of God, he is loving, he is just, he is powerful. In my situation, though, I can't get it to line up. But because I know of who God is, because I know the type of God he is, I'm going to press in. I'm going to cry out to him. Notice that in, in David, in his psalm, what does he say? He says, his trust is based on God's steadfast love. That's why he starts out with questioning, but then it ends up in going, and God, I'm questioning because I know you're a God of steadfast love, but things just aren't lining up. So I think the, the, the application we're going to keep returning to in the book of Habakkuk is learn to lament. Learn to lament, biblical lament. Press into God with your questions. It's actually an expression of faith. If you're pressing into God and saying, God, I, I trust your revealed word, that you're loving, that you're just, and I just can't get that to line up with my situation, and so I'm pressing in, God. And in that interaction, there is transformation. In that interaction, there can be a deepening of faith in our suffering so that we actually come out the other side with a deepened faith and able to rejoice even in the suffering. Now, that is impossible apart from God, but that's what God offers. The other thing in this part of Habakkuk I want to point out is there's, there are actually two problem groups in Habakkuk. The first is the prophet's fellow Israelites, especially those in power. And those are the ones that he's crying out about in this particular section. But in the rest of Habakkuk, one of the, the, the other problem people he has are the Babylonians, all right? The larger empire of Babylon. Um, but because our verses deal with the injustice and sin among God's people, uh, I want to focus on that. Because what does he do? He sees the iniquity. He sees the, uh, the iniquity of his people. And he wonders, you know, God, why aren't you doing anything about it? Notice he, he looks at the destruction, violence, strife, and contention. Those are the words he uses around him. And he says, well, what, why do the wicked of his people seem to have all the power so that justice goes forth perverted? And what's the result? Verse 4, put verse 4 up. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The word used there for law is Torah. Why the, the Torah, God's law, seems ineffective because it's ignored, it's not followed. And Habakkuk is crying out, God, why are you allowing this among your own people? Because it's one thing to leave the godless to their godless ways. Like, I think Habakkuk can understand why the Babylonians are so unjust and so brutal and, and uh, idolatrous. They're Babylonians after all. But what he can't understand is, God, how are you allowing this in your people? And because ignoring God's law, his Torah, so that it becomes ineffective through their ignoring it, it breaks that, that special covenant bond between God and his people, but it also leads to impression, oppression and injustice as, as they treat their fellow Israelites poorly. See, those things go together. When you stop following God, you, you start to be in, uh, unjust yourself, but then also treat others poorly. And that's what Habakkuk sees. And he says, wait a minute, this is Israel. This is your chosen people. 
So they've been given so much more revelation of God. So unlike, again, the Babylonians, whoever, who think that, you know, there's a whole mess of gods and they're always fighting and philandering and all of this stuff. I mean, no, this is, is Israel who has the, the scriptures and who's been spoken to, has, has the law, where God has revealed himself to be a loving God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so Habakkuk doesn't understand, and he's crying out. So Israel's sin is greater because they have more. They've been given the revelation. That's why Habakkuk cries out. It's just as if if, if a married man kisses a woman, right? That's not right. That's bad. But it's, it's much worse than if some guy is, you know, they're just dating and just, you know, first, second date, and he go kisses another woman, right? That's a little sus, but um, it's, it's not a breaking of the covenant bond, right? And, and that's, that's how we, Habakkuk's looking here. He's like, wait a minute, this is Israel. This is your betrothed, the betrothed to God who understands who God is, who's been given the covenant promises. So this should not be. This is not right. And so for Habakkuk, his world is falling apart first and foremost because he sees how it's supposed he sees who God is, he sees who Israel's supposed to be, and nothing is lining up. His religious world is falling apart. Doesn't make sense. His faith community is falling apart, so his world is falling apart. And so he laments. Right? He laments the state of God's people. And he cries out to God because God often delivers his people from their own sin. Like even when we mess up, God will deliver us. He'll do a work in us. So Habakkuk, because he knows that, he cries out to God. And again, I think this is so applicable to today because I'm going to be very frank with you. Oftentimes it seems like the, the church, big C, not necessarily here, but the church in America seems to be falling apart. I have talked to so many different pastors who are, they've never gone through something so discouraging as the last six years. I mean, there's some pastors who are, and you ask them, well, well, you know, why did you leave? And they say, well, because if you told me four years ago that half my church would leave because they don't like what we do with masks, I would say, you're crazy. There's no way Christians would do that. And yet it's happened. Or I was, I was looking online, and um, Ed Stetzer, who was a professor of mine, Russell Moore, who was at Southeastern Seminary, good godly men who want to make sure everything is, is, you know, biblical. These men are attacked because they're not towing a certain party line, because they have the audacity to question, well, wait a minute, is this really biblical? And they're called evil, even though they are solid, godly men. And so it seems like we have a sickness Much like Habakkuk saying, God, what in the world is going on with your people? You feel that today. What's the answer? The answer is still to lament to God. That's what Habakkuk is doing. 
Especially when you realize that when God intervenes and he brings revival, he removes sin and injustice, it's got to start in the house of God. That when, when God is going to move and work, it starts with his people. So we start not lamenting the world out there. The world is acting as it should act. The world doesn't trust in God. They don't know God, so we should expect them to act like that. But what we should not expect is the people of God to be acting like the world. So instead of pointing fingers out there, out there, we need to lament. We need to lament how, what would have become of us. And in that... God intervenes and brings revival because there's a principle. And the principle, the biblical principle, is that the more you've been given, the more is expected. So, for instance, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus is telling a parable about, about something like this. And he says, uh, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So again, the biblical principle is that it holds that God's people have been given the, the promises of God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Are, as God's people, we've been given so much. And so God says, you're my people, so I want you to act like my people. Right? Again, different than the world. Or how about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 12? He says this, he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you are to judge. We could really unpack that, but, you know, it, it seems like we do the opposite, right? We judge the world outside, but not ourselves. But biblically, we start with lamenting our own sin, lamenting the injustice, and then asking God to intervene in us because what do we see? We say, wait a minute, I don't line up with your word, God. I'm not lining up. And we're the ones. We're the ones who have God's presence. We're the ones who have his, pres uh, his power. We're the ones who have his Holy Spirit. And so because of that, Judgment starts with us. We have the greater responsibility. And that's Habakkuk's mindset, right? He's crying out to God because his people, of all people, should be following the one true God. So God, bring revival. He's saying, make things right in us. And so that's where we need to start as a church. Because if the problem is always them, those people out there, we're never going to see our own sin. We're never going to, we're going to remain until God has to chasten us. And that's what he did with Israel, right? He chastened them. And so will we pray and will we lament for our own sin first? Will we ask God to intervene in our hearts, in our church? Because here's the, here's a reassurance from God, is that he chastens us, his people, he tests us not to destroy us, but so that we will walk in the amazing calling and inheritance that we have. God disciplines his people to re lead them to revival. You know, again, and I, I can't see it. You know, with, 
with pandemic things and political things. I, I can't, I, I'm telling you, being very upfront, I can't see how God is going to use that to bring us to greater revival. But I don't need to see, I don't need to understand it. What I need to do is press in. I need to press in deeper and say, God, I don't see how this lines up, but I know that you're a good God. I know that you're a just God and powerful, and you call your people to reflect you. So, God, I'm repenting and coming to you and asking that you do what you only you can do. That's lament. Because, you know, sometimes things like a pandemic or whatever. It's, it is a test, but God tests us not, just not to change things, but to confirm things. And if, if God tests us and we come through even closer to God, then that test has confirmed that we are his people. But if he tests us and then we fail, it shows us that we were never where we thought we were in the anyways. It's kind of like, you know, let's say that you're having some chest pain or some issues, right? You go to the doctor, and you're like, well, right now it kind of feels fine. What might they do, right? A stress test. They'll put you on a treadmill and, and give you some stress because then that really shows, are your, is your heart really healthy? Do you have a blockage? And so what's been happening with the pandemic or whatever, take whatever suffering, whatever strife, and put it out there. It is a test. And it's a test that shows us, do we need revival? Yes, we need revival. But it starts here. It starts here. It's not, hey, God, fix those people out there. It's, Lord, fix us in here. Change us from the inside out. And so it, it, I know oftentimes we want to minimize our failures, right? We want to say, okay, yeah, all right, I'm not all that right. I understand that. But, you know, not everyone's got a little bit messed up. Instead of minimizing our failures, why don't we maximize God's grace? You know, what I mean by that is going to God and saying, God, yeah, I don't know about me, but I know you are long-suffering. I know that you are just, you are full of grace, so I come to you based on who you are, not based on who I am. And I ask God that you would line me up. You would line the world up with your will and your way. Especially if we don't understand, like, God, how do these things go together? We need him. And that's what we see. That's what we see. So we cry out to him in faith. And the good news, okay, so you might be like, yeah, Pastor Joe, that, that sermon was kind of a downer. Um, the thing is, is it's not. Because it, if there is no God, yeah, it's a downer because it's a dead end. All we have is ourselves. We can struggle, but nothing's ever going to get better. But we, we worship a God who does intervene. We cry out to God because we know that our now isn't our end. That there's a huge amount between now and when we see him face to face and he can do an amazing work in us so that we can celebrate no matter how we're suffering, no matter what's going on, we can celebrate God for who he is, even if the situation stinks. And so when we, we go to the Lord, and one of the things we're doing and that we're going to do today is the Lord's Supper, right? 
What does the Lord's Supper do? As we take the Lord's Supper, it acknowledges, wait, God's grace is bigger than my sin. God's grace is more powerful than the world. In fact, God's grace, even in and through the suffering of Jesus, brings victory through suffering. It changes the world. So when we take the Lord's Supper, it, it's taking our laments. Because what do our laments do? Our laments push us to God. But when we lament our own sin, it pushes us to the only remedy, Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus. And so as we lament to God sometimes, God, why don't you do something about people's sins? Why don't you do something about my own sins? Those prayers have actually been answered. With Christ, Christ has answered them. God says, you want me to do something about sin? You want me to, to change your heart? All right, well, Jesus Christ does that. So when we take the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We're remembering that. We're remembering his victory. We're remembering that, yeah, if, if, it, if it were up to me, I would be ruined. But it's not up to me. It's up to God. So we focus in, we press in with him. And that's what the Lord's Supper can help us do. That we, we confess our sins, we claim Christ's blood, and we commit to walking in the newness and freedom that he already has. And we pray that, God, we will be a part of the healing of the world, the transformation of the world. We won't add to its brokenness. We'll be a part of the solution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, we just cry out to you. But Lord, we don't cry out to you as people who have no hope. We cry out to you, Lord, rejoicing that you are a God of love and a God of grace. So prepare our hearts, Lord. Help us to see who we are and who you are. And thank you for the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.